I love the passage we just heard. It's our Palm Sunday passage when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And really, right from the beginning, that part of this request that Jesus makes really grabs my attention. He asks them to do something that I think is totally unexpected, even somewhat crazy sounding. He says, go and pick up a stranger's donkey for free. Just expect they'll give it to you. Huh. Now, I can relate to that. I have sometimes done some crazy, unexpected, uncommon things. Those of you who know me know I've done that. They will say to me, why did you do that? I could never. I want to give you an example. I'm not a real handy person at all. Luckily, I have a good friend named Bob. Bob knows how to do everything. So if I have to go to Lowe's, I call Bob. And I say, Bob, this is what's going on. He tells me what I need, why I need it, and he'll usually, in pity, go with me. So Paul and I, in our last house in Georgia, were to buy a new sink for our guest bathroom. Now, of course, when I say I was going to buy it, I just mean pay for it, because Paula, of course, knowing I have no taste, had already picked out the model she wanted. So Bob goes with me, and we go in, and I see the sink is directed, and it looks all good. But I said, wait a minute. The sink doesn't have a faucet. Little did I know that new sinks never come with faucets. I didn't know that. So I go to the salesman and I said, sir, this is the sink I wanted, but you made a mistake. This sink has no faucet. By now, my friend Bob is catching on. He's at least a little embarrassed, maybe a lot embarrassed. And he says, Jeff, faucets are never included when you buy a sink. You have to pay for those. Didn't stop me. I didn't think that made sense. I mean, really, what good is a sink without a faucet? It's a cabinet. So I went to the salesman and said, you have to give me a faucet. I'm not buying a sink without a faucet. At first he said, no, but I did not take no for an answer. So I began to persist. I'm one of 11 children and my siblings tell me I'm the most stubborn. They're wrong, I'm not. So I said to him, you have to give me a faucet. He finally said, I cannot just give you a faucet. I cannot do that, even if I wanted to. And it just so happened the one I decided to get, this was six or seven years ago, cost about 100 bucks, so it was a lot of money. But I kept saying, I have to get that faucet, and you have to give it to me. Guess what? I got the faucet. So I get that sometimes we make unusual, unexpected requests and that people might have all kinds of responses to that. Now, when I do some of my antics, they're probably not necessarily for any noble cause. 
but in the actions that we see in the Palm Sunday story, some of which were quite unusual, quite unexpected, quite off kilter, we begin to see they are doing these actions for very courageous reasons and noble causes. And if you remember the last several weeks, we've been talking about this theme of courage. And that's what I want us to look at this morning, what that courage might look like and where, how is it found? What is courage dependent on? So let's take a few moments to look at this passage, see where we see courage demonstrated or exemplified, and then hopefully also begin to understand where courage comes from. The first place I think we see courage is in fact in this action that the disciples follow through upon Jesus' request. It is certainly unusual. It is certainly unexpected. It is certainly out of the ordinary. And I can tell you right now, I've done a lot of unusual out of the, or, out of the ordinary things, but I don't know if I would have had the courage to do this. I might have been hesitant if Jesus said, Go to a total stranger, look for a donkey or colt that's never been set on. I would probably have said, can we stop there for a minute? How am I supposed to know a donkey has never been set on? But nonetheless, then Jesus says, go and untie it without asking anybody. And if they ask, you're just supposed to say the Lord needs it. Um, Lord, wait, am I... Am I getting the whole story here? In our time, it might have been similar if Jesus said, Jeff, go to the village's golf cart store. Go into the lot box where they take, keep the keys and take one and sit down in a golf cart and drive it away. And if by some chance, one of the owners or salesmen said, what are you doing? Hey, buddy, are you crazy? You're supposed to just say Jesus needs it. Wow. Well, that's really like what's happening in this passage. I'm not sure I would have had the courage to follow through on that request of Jesus. It really makes me laugh. But these two disciples did that. And that took courage. And if we stay with this passage a little bit longer, we also see not only do they have courage? So do the others involved. So the disciples go just as they're told. And as you might expect, when they begin to untie the colt, the owners say, what are you doing? My guess is their response might have been edited to make it more appropriate for the Bible. If it had been something that was valuable to me and someone came and started taking it without Asking, I would have probably slapped him harder than Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. I would have likely said in a loud voice, what are you doing as I was dialing 911 and picking up the ball bat I always keep by my bed? But when the disciples said the Lord needs it, that ended the discussion. And I believe it took courage for the owners of the cult to surrender it, to give it up freely, especially when we know that a cult in that time was extremely valued and very expensive. 
folks usually saved up for a long time. And you notice it said the owners asked, what were you doing? Because often more than one family had to chip in to afford this colt or donkey. Yes, the disciples who went to gather the colt were courageous, and I believe also so were the owners who, not knowing how it was going to be used or even if it would ever be given back, said, I offer it freely. Courage. But I want us to think about where does that kind of courage come from? What is it grounded in? How is it possible to have it? Let me first say where it isn't found. At least not for me. There's no pep talk that really gives us courage, especially to do extraordinary things. There's no, I'm going to count to 10, take a deep breath, and go. I don't think that really cuts it when it comes to extraordinary courage. And I know what certainly doesn't work for me are one of those motivational posters with nice little sayings on it. That is not where courage comes from. So I believe their courage came from, even though they probably had fear and misgivings about Jesus' request, it was because they had demonstrated before them by Jesus. He had proven lived before them extraordinary love. He had time and time again showed that he always, because of his love, looked out for them. In his love, he always had their back. He countless times demonstrated that, even going so far as to walking on water just to get close to them. They had seen the extraordinary love of Jesus as he stood before crowds of folks that were needy and sometimes the unloved. They had watched the love of Jesus as he stood before the poor in spirit among the religious leaders of his day. Their courage was rooted in the extraordinary love of Jesus that he had demonstrated. They had seen the extraordinary love for Jesus when after a long day of teaching, it says he felt compassion and said, we need to feed these folks that have been here all day. We saw the extraordinary love of Jesus when he said, I welcome those children to me that you might want to shush and brush away. The disciples themselves experienced the love of Jesus when he went to 12 that were just ordinary folks and said, I choose you to follow me. They had seen the love of Jesus when he said to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. They had seen the extraordinary love of Jesus as he went before the tomb of Lazarus and he wept even as he healed. They, the, these two disciples and the owners of this cult found and acted in extraordinary love, but it was rooted in extraordinary courage so that they could say, I'll do the unexpected. I'll do what might even seem unreasonable. I'll go beyond what seems to be safe. They are showing us that extraordinary courage only manifests itself 
when it's rooted in extraordinary love. We could see the disciples had the sense of Jesus' extraordinary love. But I wonder, what about these cult owners? We don't know for sure if they knew Jesus before that moment. But I believe the extraordinary love that these disciples were resting in as they found the courage to act, ask the owners for their cult was enough that it convinced them to also find courage. And what we find as we read not only in Scripture, but as we live our lives, that if we're able to find extraordinary courage as we rest in the extraordinary love of Jesus, that's a powerful way to convince others to find courage as well. Extraordinary courage rest in is birthed by, finds a place to stand in love so that we are then extraordinarily encouraged to say, I can do all things for Christ who gives me strength. That's extraordinary courage emboldened because it's resting in his extraordinary love. It is eternal. His love is eternal. His mercies and love are new every morning. His love was and is offered even before we first loved him. His love is so extraordinary that even when I fail, as I often do, it is extended to seven times 70 and beyond in his loving forgiveness. In other words, the extraordinary love of Jesus is perfect. A scripture sums up for us then how this works. 1 John 4.18 makes the connection. It's perfect love that casts out fear. When we rest in, when we soak up, when we embrace, when we take in, when we're enveloped by, when we trust in the perfect love of God and Jesus Christ, fear is cast out, creating the space within us to then find extraordinary courage. Perfect love casts out fear, creating the place for courage to come in and to grow and expand. We see extraordinary courage in this passage with the disciples that were willing to go and ask for a cult for free. We see extraordinary courage in the owners of that cult that said, take it if the Lord needs it. And we see extraordinary courage in other places in this passage as well. We see courage as the crowd gathered to shout hosannas, to lift palm branches and to lay their cloaks to solidify and signify it was holy ground. Yes, we know some of that crowd was there for misguided reasons. Some of them were probably only there for show or the excitement, but many were there because they believed. And they did not want the rocks to get a chance to take their place in offering praise. It was courageous praise because they had already seen the religious leaders at work, and they had been 
shown that those leaders often were criticizing and rejecting and even threatening. Yet they, nonetheless, despite the risk, said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's say that together. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise can be extraordinarily courageous. It isn't just offered when things are easy or in times where circumstances are pleasant. Praise sometimes is offered as a true sacrifice when we do not know what's going on or how things might work out. Praise says, God, I praise you for who you are and for all your benefits, trusting you in this because I rest in your love for me. I've had the extreme privilege of being with some of you when you have offered courageous praise, maybe during an illness or the illness for a loved one. I've had the sacred privilege of being with some of you as you lost a loved one. And I have been overwhelmed when you still have the courageous praise and say, I trust God will bring me through this even when I don't know how that's possible. I know that he is with me. I've had the privilege of baptizing a man who is about to take his last breath. And as he did, he smiled. And his family rejoiced. And wow, did that strengthen my faith. I have been with a man who was terminally ill with only a week or two to live. And he courageously praised God saying, Sometimes after all this, God is all we have left, but that's enough. And just like the cult owners who were convinced to be courageous and they were strengthened by experiencing courageous actions rooted in extraordinary love, I too have been blessed and convinced and helped by having that experience. Certainly, the praises were courageous. And then finally, the most courageous act in all of Palm Sunday is that Jesus would even go there himself. Remember Luke 9, 51, it says, Jesus set his face like flint or iron to Jerusalem. Jesus knew when he said, if the rocks, if the crowd doesn't praise, the rocks will cry out. He knew that would make the leaders angry but he had to speak the truth. And Jesus knew this wonderful parade that he was taking was going to soon be followed by a prayer in a garden and an unfair trial and a crown of thorns and a cross. He steeled himself for this extraordinary courageous act. The disciples, the owners of the cult, the courageous praisers at the parade, they found their courage rooted in the love they received from Jesus. Jesus' courage to go all the way to Calvary is rooted in his extraordinary love that he gives to us. 
the final evidence, evidence of his courageous love is that as he went on this parade and then looked out over the city, he wept. Not out of fear, not out of dread, but because he loved the children of Israel. And just as he wept in compassion for his dear friend Lazarus, he wept because he wanted to gather his children like a hen gathers her brood. Extraordinary love for us is what emboldened his extraordinary courage. Palm Sunday does two things for us. The first thing it does is it gives us, in fact, evidence that 1 John 4.18 is true, that perfect love cast out fear, so it creates a space to find extraordinary courage. The second thing Palm Sunday does for us is it asks a question. Will we discover extraordinary courage when it's called upon from our lives? What extraordinary acts of courage might each of us in this place be called upon to perform. I want you to think about that in this moment and throughout this week we call holy. Are you being called to find the, the extraordinary courage to get involved in a ministry at New Covenant? Or maybe even to start one? Are you being called to find the courage to forgive someone in your life who's unforgivable or hasn't even asked? Are you being called to find the courage to pray for those who mistreat you, maybe with gossip or unkindness? Are you being called, called to find the extraordinary courage to reach out to that person that gets on your last nerve? Come on, we all have people that get on our last nerve, right? Yes, pastors have those too. They're not in this room. They're not anybody watching. And there's nobody behind me, so it's none of them. But yes, it takes extraordinary courage to do that. Are you being called to find the extraordinary courage to do as James says, rejoice even in your trials? Are you being called to find the courage to witness to someone about the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, even when they might give us a rude response? How do we find that extraordinary courage? We find it by resting in the love of the very one who wept over his enemies that were about to execute him because he came to save. And then finally, I want to get real specific. Maybe what you're being called to find is the courage, the extraordinary courage to hope. And I think that's sometimes the hardest of all especially in the times we're in. Being hopeful might well take some extraordinary courage. We're looking still at these expressions, maybe hopefully the final remnants of COVID, and we're seeing as we watch in horror the tragedies that's happening in Ukraine. Has any of that made it hard for you to walk in hope, hopefulness? It takes courage to be hopeful. And I confess before you this morning, that's been one of my lifelong struggles to approach life in the courage of hopefulness. For me, I can tell you it was rooted in my childhood 
difficulty and trauma. When I was four, my ear brother was accidentally killed in an unspeakably tragic accident. And that left me with the mindset, the worst thing you could imagine can happen. So don't risk being hopeful. And I grew in this understanding that being without hope was comfortable and familiar. And that's where I stayed almost all of my growing up years. Luckily, when I was right out of high school, some friends introduced me to the love of Jesus Christ, and I began to be convinced as his follower. I began to be set free from the inability to have the courage to hope. I did deeply wrestle with that, but I really grew in that, and I began to recognize we can have the courage to be hopeful when we rest in his extraordinary love. I'm not going to say that was a one-time fix-all. There's times I still struggle with that, and maybe you do too. It came back to me, especially when as an adult and as a pastor, I lost a second sibling in another unspeakably tragic death. And I found myself, unfortunately, seemingly stepping right back into that place where it was hard to find the courage to be hopeful. Let me tell you, trying to preach every week from that place was tough. But I had that experience like Jacob did when he wrestled the angel, and I invite you, if that's your struggle, to do the same. I can tell you from experience that it's possible to find the courage to be hopeful again. And I believe it works like this, as I read in my favorite passage in the Bible from the beginning of Romans 5. Paul says, we can celebrate in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, Perseverance brings about character, and character brings out what? Hope. Hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. It's okay to have the courage to be hopeful, but we have to read on. Why does hope not disappoint? Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us experiencing and digging down deep and grabbing a hold of and wrestling with the extraordinary love of Jesus Christ is the way to find extraordinary courage, even to have hope. We find the courage to act because Jesus has said, even before you loved me, I've loved you. We take strength in that promise of extraordinary love, especially this Holy Week, when we see demonstrated once and for all this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Extraordinary love bursts extraordinary courage. I want to close with my favorite prayer from the scriptures. It's in Ephesians 3. Paul is praying, recognizing that it is extraordinary love that brings out extraordinary strength and courage. So let's pray and hear these words as we pray. Paul prays, I ask Jesus to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength 
that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. I will ask Jesus on your behalf that you will plant both feet firmly on love. That you will be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Paul prays and we pray this morning that we might reach out and experience the breath of the extraordinary love of Jesus, the length of his love, the depth of his love, the heights of his love, so that we are able, knowing his extraordinary love, how it changes our soul, can go forth in extraordinary courage. Amen.